be always with grace. Seasoned with salt. Num, 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 num. Palatable. That you would know how you are to speak to every person. Let's just do that again. Whatever comes out of your mouth, ouch. Whatever comes out of my mouth, let it always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that preservative that sustains, that I would know how to answer or address, converse, speak with every person. I love that. Thank you, Jesus. So uh, today, <coughs> pardon me, we're going old school. <laughs> it was a very, very busy week. It's been a very busy several weeks. So there's no PowerPoint. <laughs> so you're going to just have to look at me and listen, or you can close your eyes and listen, but that's how we're going to do it today. My topic today is one of my favorites. It's about Peter. I love Peter. Peter gives me hope. If you've read the scriptures and you know about Peter, oh my goodness, Peter's my testimony. So the, the subtitle would be this, Peter, the great hope for the dysfunctional. <laughs> Peter, the great hope for the extremist. <laughs> Peter, the great hope for the angry. I spent seven years of my life from 1992 to 1999 in raging anger. I nearly destroyed my family, and, and it was awful. And the church, it was terrible. I can go into that more later. But do not think that I do not know about the torment of demonic anger. God set me free. <clears throat> Peter is also the great hope for the arrogant. <laughs> Come on. You know who you were. You know who you were. You've been set free of those things. So in Mark 3.14 is where we, uh, we encounter Jesus calling Peter. Peter is the first disciple listed that's called by Jesus into the, to be one of his disciples. And uh, he says, I want to send you out with power. I want to send you out to preach. I want to send you out to heal the sick. I want to send you out to cast out demons. And he gave Peter, Peter is, th this is not where he gives Peter his name. He's still called Simon right here. But then we're in Matthew 14, and I'm going, to, I'm going to go between Matthew 14 and Luke 22. Those are the primary texts for today. But in Matthew 14, it says, if you tell me, Peter's saying to Jesus when he sees him walking on the water, if you tell me to come, I'll come. You want, if you tell me to come, I'll come. And Jesus says, come on. So Peter crawls out of the boat, and he's, he's looking at Jesus, and he's walking on the water, and all of a sudden it's like he starts looking around. And when he takes his eyes off Jesus, what happens? Anybody ever sunk in a situation in life because you took your eyes off Jesus? Anybody ever been a prodigal? Yes, we have. 
Peter gets this revelation of the Christ. A couple chapters later, Matthew 16, Jesus is saying, who do you say I am? He's talking to the disciples. Who do you say they are, that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. I know this. And Jesus says, oh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this epiphany to you, but my Father in heaven. You are hearing God's voice. And then Jesus says this, and I love this portion of scripture. And I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock, small rock, I will build my church. And the Greek word there for church is ecclesia, and it literally means my called out ones. I'm calling you out from the world and that which you're used to doing to taking care of your own self. I'm calling you out of institutionalized religion. I'm calling you to myself. Come out and be separate from among them. Come to me. And I and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That's an encouragement, church. And that is the only time churches, the first time church is used, and it's used by Jesus. And that's where we get it from. We are the called out ones. We've chosen to be here this morning. We're choosing to worship and have our faith built by the preaching of the word. So Peter has this amazing epiphany. Don't you love it when God speaks to you? You are just so excited when God gives you a word, and it's like, I'm hearing his voice. This is wonderful. <gasps> and then, all right, and it, I, it's just two verses later. Jesus begins to tell his disciples, look, I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be tried by the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. They're going to kill me in Jerusalem. I'm going to die. He's warning them, trying to prepare their hearts for what's coming. And then Peter opens his mouth. So Peter takes Jesus aside, and he says, This will not happen on my watch. Far be it from you, Lord. We're not going to allow it. No way. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And what does Jesus say? Get Get behind me, Satan, for you, you do not savor the things of God, but you want the things that make you feel good. You just want your own pleasure. You do not have a heavenly perspective, Peter. Anybody identify? Have you been there? Oh, God, I can't wait till I get married. It's 1975. Oh, God, I can't wait to get married. Please don't come before I get married. Oh, God, Jesus, don't send Jesus back. I actually prayed that prayer. <laughs> I actually prayed that prayer. Yeah, I, I had a long way to go. Um, so I said, oh, God, please don't, please don't, please don't come. I want to get married. Well, I got married, obviously, and it's 48 years later. So God was good to me. <laughs> but he's coming back, and we should relish his return more than our own pleasure. And that's what he's saying to Peter. Come on, get a heavenly perspective. So then, six days later, six days later, so Peter's got an epiphany from God. Then Jesus rebukes Peter. 
And now Jesus said, come on, we're going up the mountain. So Peter, take, or Peter and James and John go with Jesus up the mountain. And this is called the mountain of transfiguration, where Jesus actually, his face shines, his clothes are glowing white. And Peter looks at it and says, whoa. And then appears Moses and Elijah. Oh, Jesus, this is great. I'm going to build a booth for you. I'm going to build one for Moses. I'm going to build one for Elijah. I'm going to keep you right here with me. What? His flesh and his temporal being are so engrossed in what he's experiencing. He wants to put it in a box. Have you ever wanted to put in a box something wonderful that you've experienced? Not meant to be. And then a voice from heaven comes like this. This is my beloved son. And do not think it was, this is my beloved son in whom I am. It was, it thundered from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear him. God is saying, would you be quiet and listen to the things I've put in my son to strengthen and speak to you? So this is, a, this is an account in Matthew, but also in Matthew 3, we know that the same voice came out of heaven when Jesus was baptized. The, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended on Jesus in Matthew 3, 17, and it says, and the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately, immediately, the Spirit of God took Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. I love that. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, and then Jesus touched them. They came, they got up. The cloud was gone. The voice was gone. Jesus wasn't glowing. Elijah and Moses were gone. Peter gets exhorted by Jesus in Luke 22. And he's, Jesus has called the 12 together. They're in the upper room. They're going to have, they've had communion. And Jesus is trying to say, say things to them that he wants them to remember. He says, you have continued with me in all my trials. Church, so many of you have walked through life with me. And I want to thank you for your prayers. There were such dark times, such horrible situations, and you walked through those situations with me, my family. Thank you. He says, I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed upon me. You may eat, I've called you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I've called you. You are my disciples. I've been training you. You have an eternal, you have an eternal place of judging the 12 tribes of Israel in my Father's kingdom. 
You're going to be with me. And then the Lord goes to, uh, to turns towards uh, Simon Peter, and he says, Simon. It's with emphasis. Read it. Simon. It's an exclamation point, everything. And in the Hebrew, that literal, Simon literally means listen. So when God is saying, hear him, I wonder if he's not saying to Simon, would you listen, Simon? A direct address. And here Jesus is saying, Simon, Simon, listen, listen. How many times do we say that to our children? Listen to me. And they get it wrong. I've gotten it wrong so many times. Jesus calls him by his birth name. He says it twice. And then he says, indeed, Satan has desired you. He's asked for you, Peter. Satan has asked for you that he could sift you as wheat. He wants to destroy you. And the sifting of wheat, what comes, to the surf, what comes up is chaff, that which will blow away. They had threshing fields. And you shake that, that, that screen, and the intent was that the chaff would blow away. In other words, Satan wants to absolutely destroy you and bring you to nothing. He wants to make a shell of a person out of you. I have felt like that shell of a person. During those seven years, I knew God existed. I didn't want to be used by God. I didn't want to. I went to church when I felt I could because there were times I'd wake up in the morning just shaking. I'd get dressed. I'd put my hand on the door, and I would have to go back and sit in bed, and I'd just shake. And I couldn't. I wouldn't know to use my toothbrush or my hairbrush. And I would just shake. It was a very dark time for our family. I couldn't remember any scriptures. He wants us to hear his voice. He wants us to hear his voice. The enemy does not want you to hear his voice. And if you've got a whole bunch of stuff going on, it's difficult to hear the voice of the Lord amidst the clamor. Satan has desired to sift you. And we know from reading Job that Satan had to go and ask permission. And in the asking of permission to torment Job, he said the only reason Job serves you is because you're good to him. It's because you've blessed him. Because you've made him so affluent. My goodness. You've given him everything possible, God. But if you let me add him, he'll curse you to your face. Satan had to ask permission. Here it says, Satan has asked for you, Peter. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. That's powerful. We know in Revelation 12, 11, and 10, it says that, that um, <coughs> the enemy, Satan, goes before our Father in heaven night and day, accusing whom? Christians. Satan goes before God, accusing Christians. If you let me at them, they'll curse you and die. But Jesus has prayed for us. Hebrews 7, 25. 
says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is constantly in prayer for us. The high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Lord, I'm asking God that they would be in me and I am in you and you are in me and that they, all of them, would be in us. I don't want to lose any of my children. I want them all saved. Jesus, every day, Jesus is praying for you. Jesus, the Savior of all mankind, is praying for you. That is amazing. Who's praying for me? Yes. And in, uh, tw- uh, then it says in uh, Revelation 12, it says, And he was hurled down from heaven, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus would look on them, and he'd see that they had been born again. They'd ask Jesus into their heart. He saw his blood applied to their lives. Forgiveness of sin, repentance. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They started telling people about what God's done in their lives. Do you share your testimony? Do you tell how you were and how you are? Yes, it gives hope. It gives hope to people. If you've been an extremist, you've been angry, you've been arrogant, you've been dysfunctional, and Jesus saves you, you got reason to testify. And are you willing to be a martyr? Because it says they love not their lives unto the death. Then they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus says, couldn't you watch just one hour? Couldn't you watch just one hour? Come on, please pray for me. Watch and pray. Jesus says to Peter, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. The temptation of Satan that he wants, to do, he wants to sift you. He wants to destroy you. Matthew 6, the Our Father prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you get the connection? Jesus is saying, come on, pray with me. So Jesus gets betrayed by Judas. Peter, I told you I liked Peter, right? He takes out the sword and he cuts off the right ear of the, of the uh, servant to the high priest. Are you reactionary? Don't raise your hands. Um, <laughs> I, am, I, I mean, if you know me for very long, you go, whoa, there's a reaction. All right, so I, d- I have this identification with my brother Peter. And then Jesus heals it. Thank you, Jesus, for cleaning up my mess. Um, and then he, he's led away captive, and Peter follows at a distance. Now, this is, the, this is the meat of it. So Luke says in 2256, a certain servant, uh, he's, he's already told Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. Three times you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. Never! I mean, Peter is so passionate. He says, Never! I will never, it doesn't matter what anybody else does, not me. I'm willing to even die for you. I'll go to prison for you. It's not going to happen. He is so confident in the strength of his own strong-willed nature. Many hands. They're invisible, but I know they're up. We have a strong-willed nature, and we're so certain of what we will or won't do. 
But as they're warming themselves in the courtyard just outside of where Jesus is being interrogated at the high priest's home, this young girl says, you were with him. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I was not. I don't have anything. I don't believe anything you're saying. A little while later, another saw him and says, you were with him. Peter says, man, I am not one of them. And he says this, and actually the second denial, Matthew says, he says it with an oath. He actually says his denial with an oath. And this is poignant in Matthew um, 26, 72. I do not know the man. And with an oath uh, actually means this. He is swearing to his lie. He's lying. And then he's swearing on top of it. It's actually a vehement affirmation. So he's just broken two commandments. About an hour passes, and another one comes and says, you were absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. You were with this guy. I know you're, you're a Galilean. No. And he says, yeah, you were, because your speech, your accent, the way you talk is deceiving you. We know you're one of them. And Peter says this. He begins to curse and swear in Matthew 26, 74. I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crows. And the Lord, because he has a line of sight to Peter, Jesus is up here in the upper chamber, and Peter's out here in the courtyard, and there's a line of sight. And the Lord looks at Peter. And Peter sees it, and he weeps bitterly. Do you feel bad when you've sinned? Does it just gut-wrench you when you transgress? And Peter runs out and weeps bitterly. And the Greek word there for that bitterly is pikros. And it means, it's used specifically for the poignancy with which Peter was weeping bitterly. It's an emphatic, emphatic word. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow produces repentance. Peter's sorrow was the beginning of his repentance for the three denials. I kind of think this is the worst, worst day of his life. A bad day. Bad day. Do you remember the worst day of your life? The worst season of your life? We all have them. You cannot escape having bad times on earth. Peter's grief was so overwhelming from his denials. It was also compounded because not only were the denials there, but just a couple hours later, Christ is being crucified. Your best friend, your mentor, your rabbi, the one who's brought you more comfort than anybody else ever has, has just died. Just died. 
whenever there's a death of a loved one. I, you're just rendered limp with agony and pain. Oh, God. Oh, God. How do, why did this have to happen? We have to turn to him for our comfort. My mother's lost two husbands, all her siblings except one, her parents, and a son. Many dear and close friends. And her testimony is this. The Lord takes care of his widows. I've never known my mother to backslide. She got saved at three, and she's 98 and a half. She remembers her salvation experience. Do you remember yours? I remember mine. If you are not saved, you do not have an assurance that you will go to heaven today. If you were to die, then we would love to share Jesus with you and encourage you. After the service, we'll pray with you. And John 21, so all four Gospels have the account of the denial, but only John chapter 21 has the account of Jesus and uh, Peter at the seashore, where Jesus is actually saying, he says these things, Peter, he asks Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, he calls him Simon, Simon again. Listen, listen. God knows how to speak to you to get your attention, to take you back to a memory that needs to be reconciled. Amen? Simon, Simon, listen, listen to me. Do you love me, agape? Do you love me more than these? Simon says, I phileo, I love you with a brotherly love, sort of. There's more to it than that, but I'm simplifying. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. A second time, Simon, do you agape love me? with a pure godly love. And Simon responds, Lord, I phileo, I, I brotherly love you, I love you. He says, feed, take care of my sheep. Feed my, feed my, uh, yes, take care of my sheep. The third time, how many denials were there? The third time, Jesus says, Simon, do you phileo? Do you really brotherly love me? And Peter's grieved that Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know everything. He knows everything, church. He knows everything. Every heartache, every disappointment, every wound. He says, then feed my sheep. We are one trial, one tribulation, one tragedy, one trauma, away from a crisis of faith. We do not know. We don't know the future. But we can know him who holds the future. And we can place all of our trust in him. He's the only one who can bind up the brokenhearted. The only one that can comfort us. He's the only one that can get in there deep enough to heal what's devastated. It's very interesting to me that in first, so Peter has this amazing reconciliation with the Lord, and we know that they go 
uh, back to the upper room. Many theologians believe it's the same upper room. And he's told him, wait. Wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes on you, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to baptize you with dunamis, power, authority, to testify of me, to make you witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So go to Jerusalem, Jesus told them, at his ascension. So they go, and we know what. Next week is Pentecost Sunday. We're going to talk about what happens in Jerusalem that day when the Holy Spirit is poured out. Peter gets transformed with power from God. Power from God. And he's the one, he's the one who stands up and puts it all straight and says, no, they're not drunk. It's only morning. Don't you? They are, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke about. You guys all know about Joel. He said that in the latter days I would pour out my flesh on all spirit and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your visions, dreams. Your young men will see, <laughs> see visions. Thank you. I'm going to pour out my spirit like never before. And the greatest revival that had ever happened happened right then. There could have been as many as 50,000 people in Jerusalem. 3,000. 3,000 got saved that day. 3,000 committed themselves to Christ that day. Saints, get ready. We are in revival. He is bringing people in. Because he loves them. He wants them. We are not the only church. He's doing it. He's doing it all over. Our job is to pray for unity in the spirit. So Peter says this. We know that Peter's used in powerful ways. He says in 1 Peter 4.8, he writes 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and 3 Peter after all this he's been through. I'm sorry, it was chapter 3. Thank you. First and Second Peter. Then in First Peter 4, 8, he says this, Above all things, have fervent agape love for one another, for agape love covers a multitude of sins. Having godly love should, in me, I should have his love. It should, no matter what anybody does to me, that love, his love in me should cover. It should cover. Whatever anybody does to me should cover. Whatever befalls me, agape love covers. Peter knew this firsthand, didn't he? At the seashore, being reconciled to Christ. Then in 1 Peter 5, he says this. All of you be submissive to one another. In other words, I'm not the only one. Peter's acknowledging, okay, I'm not the only one in charge. I'm going to submit to all of you. Be clothed with humility. I will not walk in my arrogance anymore. God resists the proud, like I just said. He gives grace to the humble. He knew this firsthand. And then he says, God will exalt you in due time. He says also, cast all your cares on him. He uses a fishing term because they knew his history. They knew he was been a fisherman. 
Cast all your cares. Put it out there. Get everything off you and onto him because he cares for you. And then verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He knew this firsthand. He could have said, beware, I know what it's like to be sifted. I know what it's like to deny the Christ. I know what it's like to get restored. Beware. Take heed, lest we fall. The gifts of God are irrevocable. Whatever God's given you, he's not taken back. During that seven years that I was so tormented, I didn't want to go. We had done youth camp for many years. In fact, we ended up doing youth camp for 25 years as directors. This one year I said, I'm not going, or I'll go. I'm not doing nothing. And they had this tunnel during that week, and they want they wanted us to pray over all the campers. So by this time, I'm, I've softened up. I said, okay, God, I'll minister here. I'll do what you want me to do here, but then I'm done. So I get in that tunnel, and I'm the last one where people are coming through, all these kids, over 100 campers coming through. Every camper that went by me got prophetic ministry. I blocked the tunnel. They were backed up so far. Because I decided to do what God wanted me to do, he honored those campers. And his gifts are irrevocable. His prophetic unction flowed through me. I'm a flawed, damaged vessel. And he flowed through me anyways. He flows if you are willing to engage with him and give it to him. He will use you. I would like to, we know that Peter spoke with authority. We know that he, he healed a lame man. Peter and John went to pray and they met the lame man on the way. He healed him. He raised up Dorcas. He, he stewarded that great revival in the first century. He was, in other words, We know Peter was called. We know what he went through. But God didn't leave him there. God will not leave you where you are. He is, I want to give you hope. He will call you out of that and into freedom and back into ministry. He did not leave me angry and raging and destructive. He set me free. And there's been more ministry out of my life since 1999 than there was ever before when I got saved. I love Peter. I have such identification with Peter. He's so amazing. So amazing. Would you stand with me? Your worst day does not have to remain. You can, you can come out of that worst day, that worst season. You can redeem that day. Let Jesus come into that worst season, that worst day. That is not where you're to abide. No matter how dark, how sad, how destructive it is, God w- has a plan for you. I would, If you are willing, I'd like to lead you in this prayer. Because this is a prayer. It's very dear to my heart. It's a prophetic confession of faith. I know as I ask you to repeat this, 
that many of us may not say, oh, I, I'm just not there yet. But I'm asking you to confess it in faith and prophesy over yourselves. Okay? Isaiah 61, if you would. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the word. To heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Those that are stuck in their sin. Open prison doors to those who are bound. They've been locked up for years. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. And to comfort those in the body of Christ. To give them beauty for ashes. And the oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise. For a spirit of heaviness. That they that I may be called a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord God Almighty. God's calling us to repent, be restored, and operate in his gifts that he's given us.